Welcome to the Find Creative Expression Podcast, conversations about art and creativity. I'm your host, Sarah Crawford, author, musician, and playwright. You can find the show notes and other information at findcreativeexpression.com. And let's get going. Hey, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of the Find Creative Expression podcast. Uh, happy 2021. I uh, realized that I, I missed an episode, which it was it was two weeks ago. And I actually recorded the interview with industrial musician James Huey. And it was a really cool interview. Um, but then, you know, the next day was uh, Wednesday, January 6th. And of course, that, you know, the Capitol riot ha- happened. And I was very, you know, just kind of really affected by it and... Um, I, I I had already recorded my interview, but I hadn't done the intro yet. And I, could, I just couldn't bring myself to talk about, like, positive, you know, creativity. So I was going to wait a week to release the episode. Okay, so then my computer totally crashed. And I got another one, but I lost the interview in the process. So on this episode, I interview author Madeline Dyer, and I had a lot of fun talking to her. We had a really interesting conversation, so definitely stick around for that. But then next week, I'm going to be redoing my interview with James Huey. So tune back in for that as well. Last week before I discovered I had lost the interview, I recorded an intro where I kind of rambled on about, you know, how much things had been affecting me lately with everything going on. And I I won't repeat all of that because I, I got a little political. And this is not a political podcast, so... And yeah, I won't repeat all of that. I will say Trump supporters are not normal Republicans. I will say that. And if you support Trump, you're probably not going to like anything I have to say. <laughs> so there is that. Maybe you will. I don't know. Maybe maybe there are some Trump supporters with the creativity. I, you know, I just think I, I feel like uh, there's just so much white supremacy involved in Trump support. Uh, Not that everyone who voted for Trump is a white supremacist. I don't believe that. But okay, so so I'll say it like this. Not every Trump supporter is a white supremacist. Every white supremacist probably supports Trump. And you know, that's kind of how I felt throughout the whole Trump presidency. But it's just it's gotten to be exhausting lately. So, um, I'm recording this on Tuesday. This It's actually the last day of the Trump presidency. Thank you, God. So, by the time this comes out, we'll have a new president. And, you know, I don't think, like, the Democrats and Biden are, like, the answer to all the world. And, you know, now there's going to be puppy dogs and rainbows and everyone's gonna hold hands and sing like I don't really believe that but you know it was really nice to like turn on the news yesterday and see oh Joe Biden like 
was volunteering on MLK Day, giving people food and stuff. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if Trump ever did any volunteer work, but I feel like he probably didn't. So it was just nice to see. It was it was nice nice to see that. It's nice to see, you know, a president who at least acts like he cares about people in America. So that's all I'll say about that. Because this is not a political podcast. This is a podcast about creativity and art. But you know, I will say one of the kind of foundations of America is this idea of freedom. Now, it's kind of ironic that America was founded on this idea of freedom when we had slaves who were the opposite of free. So I don't know that we've ever entirely lived up to this idea of freedom and everyone having personal freedom. But I will say, you know, it's hard to be creative and be artistic and use your voice and express yourself if you don't feel free. If you don't feel like you have the freedom to use your voice in that way. And so I I think, you know, even though this is a podcast about creativity and art and, you know, we don't all necessarily agree on the best way to achieve the ideals that America was founded on. But it's but the idea of freedom and equal opportunities and representation, as me and Madeline uh, get into in our interview, all, all of that stuff is really important to me. And I, I think it's it's also really important to art. So I just wanted to say that. So let's go ahead and get into the interview then. Hey, everyone. I am here with Madeline Dyer. Madeline Dyer is an author of young adult speculative fiction and a poet from the southwest of England. Her books include the Untamed series, the Dangerous Ones series, and Captive, a poetry collection on OCD, psychosis, and brain inflammation. She has a BA honors degree in English from the University of Exeter, and she is pursuing her MA in creative writing at Kingston University. Welcome, Madeline. Hi, yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us on the Find Creative Expression podcast, episode 13. I don't know why I always say us, because it's, you know, <laughs> just me, but, <laughs> you know. Um, so, so how did you get into writing? Um, so I've always written really from quite a young age. I can't sort of like remember a specific time when I wasn't writing. Um, like I grew up just being sort of surrounded by stories. Like my dad is a writer as well. My mum would read me bedtime stories each night when I was really little. So I was just always encouraged to sort of like enjoy stories and telling stories as well. And yeah I just found I really loved having the creativity of like being able to tell my own stories and I suppose what really made me determined to be a writer was um, when I was a teenager my autonomic system failed so I was um, in hospital a lot and I, I wasn't able to like get outside as much as I wanted to so when I was sort of like inside um, in the hospital I was just sort of living through my characters telling stories and I was using stories very much as a form of escapism to sort of do all the things I found myself unable to do so 
yeah that's sort of like what really made me determined to be a writer was having that illness yeah yeah that's that's interesting um yeah I you know I when I look back I I think I was really in love with storytelling like before I could even write because <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, I remember seeing like the Nutcracker as as like a five-year-old and I was just like captivated with like just the storytelling and yeah so I think that that kind of love of storytelling is like ingrained in us at a young age some of us you know yeah I definitely agree with that Mm -hmm. so so what attracts you to dystopian stories um yeah so yeah my first series was the untamed series which is dystopian and Prior to writing that, I'd written a couple of manuscripts which were very much sort of like urban fantasy. And up until that point, I hadn't written any dystopian, but it was about the time when dystopian was really becoming popular popular with like the Hunger Games divergent. Mm-hmm. And so I remember I was actually just um, sitting in my Nana's house after school one day, I was about 16, 17. And I remember thinking, like, I'm enjoying reading all these dystopian novels. Why don't I have a go at writing one? So it started off as a bit of an experiment just to see if I could write in that genre. And the weird thing was it just clicked and it instantly felt so much easier for me to write dystopian than when I was writing urban fantasy. So, yeah, and I just found that I loved how dystopian nature, dystopian fiction, it's all about human nature and... Mm-hmm. There's just so many different things that sort of like get incorporated into dystopian stories and how it's very much about the relationship between this dystopian society and the real world that you're living in. Um, yeah, like it just speaks so much to me about um, sort of current day societies and I just find yeah. that all really fascinating. So, yeah, I guess that is what draws me to dystopian stories, just like how much about human nature it is and how even though it's often a world that is supposed to be really sort of far away and that is not actually going to happen but where you can actually see that it could and it's sort of that possibility that I find really fascinating right well I don't know I mean here in America like dystopian (laughs) is not that far off but uh yeah you know what did you find it interesting having the experience of you know, writing like during a pandemic when things are kind of like a little more dystopian than than usual? Um, yeah, well, I mean, the weird thing is, is um, now that we're sort of like living in a more dystopian environment, I can't write dystopian that well at the moment. Like I just, I want to write something else that's different. So I've been mainly writing sort of young adult thrillers recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have got plans to go back to the dystopian because I've got the last one of um, my latest series to finish writing. But oh, okay. um, yeah, like with all the pandemic and everything, it, um, like suddenly all these dystopian worlds that like we're reading and writing, it's all like a little bit too close to home and a bit too close for comfort, really. So yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So okay, you have you have the Untamed series and the first four books are telling this the story of the characters Seven and Corin, And then the next three books are the dangerous ones, but it's still part of the untamed universe. So they, you know, they take place in the same time with a different different character's perspective. 
Um, and then the seventh book is the upcoming book, uh, the threat of the hunt, which comes out in April. So what made you want to explore a different kind of story or character's perspective in the same universe? Okay, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, like the first four books, they're sort of like what I think of as like the core series, it's like the, the main story. And I found when I was writing um, those books, I was really fascinated by this one character called Keely. And she doesn't have any page time in the books um, because she dies right at the start of book one, like Untamed. So you never actually meet her in those books, but all the characters who have met her, they're really influenced by their interactions with her. So I decided I, I needed to get to know this character better, but obviously I couldn't like bring her into the Untamed series without sort of, you know, having her come back to life or something. Right. So I decided to um, start writing a new book. And originally it was just going to be um, a novella that took place before the Untamed series and it would just be her, um, her narrating it. But that, like, as soon as I started writing it, like her voice just came to me, her character, and it, I just had to write like this whole story and like the novella turned into like this whole novel. It ended up longer than book one in the series. So I was just, and I was having so much fun with it. And in the end, it did end up sort of like overlapping a little bit with um, the first book in the Untamed series in terms of timelines and sort of like the events that go on. And it was when it began overlapping that I just wondered, why don't I continue this um, Dangerous Ones trilogy? Mm -hmm. and have sort of this separate trilogy running alongside the same, alongside the books for the Untamed series. So you've got the sort of like these two series taking place at the same time, but right. they have completely different storylines. And I found that quite interesting, sort of like looking at these events I've already written about in the first four books, but looking at them from different angles, but also trying to make it a whole new story and exciting as well. So, yeah. Yeah, so like each of the Dangerous Ones books does have a different narrator. Um, so book two of that one is called This Vicious Way and that's narrated by Inga. And then book three, which is the one that comes out in April that I'm just finishing editing at the moment, that one's narrated by Casey. And yeah, you do get some like minor crossover of characters within these, these two series as well, which I think is quite fun. But um, yeah like just exploring the story um from like a different angle um has allowed me to develop my world so much more and mm -hmm. just like these little seeds that I'd put into like the Untamed series that never sort of like got fully developed or like things I'm now able to pick up on in the Dangerous One series and just develop further and it's so much fun making sure that it all links perfectly back to the end of the Untamed series because both of these series have the exact same end point which I think is quite fun as well. It's right <laughs> yeah that's that's really cool um yeah I I really like when when authors do that and and I, I you know I think it's it's kind of a great treat for the readers to really like be able to learn more about the world and and kind of just see different things from different perspectives and angles um so so do you have any plans to explore any additional kind of stories or characters in this universe um well at the moment once I finish writing the threat of the hunt and that releases in April at the moment that's sort of like the last of the untamed books um 
there will always be the possibility of me writing sort of like another series or just like a standalone about a different character if I wanted to but yeah I haven't really got any sort of like concrete hard plans to do that at the moment because I'm mainly focusing on young adult thrillers and some new manuscripts at the moment so like I've been writing The Untamed World um for about seven or eight years now so I just kind of I want to get away from it for a bit right right yeah yeah I know I know what you mean but it, it's kind of hard I feel like it's kind of hard to, to like say goodbye to to characters when you've been with them for that long yeah definitely like I know when I was writing the fourth Untamed book like the last one from Seven's point of view that one felt so bittersweet writing the ending and I almost didn't want to stop stop writing it and it was just um and I suppose in a way I'm getting the same sort of feeling when I'm writing the Dangerous Ones books, but when each of those books has a different narrator anyway, mm-hmm. it does feel a bit newer and it's like I can do different things, I can be more experimental if I want, whereas um, with like the first four books, with them all having the same narrator, I suddenly couldn't really change my writing style or make it suddenly so much darker, whereas right. having like the separate narrators for the Dangerous Ones series, it does give me a lot of freedom of movement so yeah because like book two of the dangerous one series is a lot lot darker whereas book one is like more playful it's more friendly um so yeah like being able to sort of write from so many different perspectives but within the same world is is really fascinating for me and it does keep me engaged and stop me getting bored as well <laughs> right 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 so so I want to talk about your your writing process a little bit. Um, so for for listeners who don't know, you know, there's there's plotters who kind of really plan things out before they start writing, and then there's pantsers, people who fly by the seat of their pants and are just more kind of discovery writers and sort of discover the story as they're writing. So when you're writing fiction, what what is your process? Um, so I am a complete pantser. Like I don't really plot at all. I I've tried plotting, but when I plot, I find that I lose interest in the story because I almost feel that I've already written it all out. There's nothing new for me to explore. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I I wing it completely, basically. Um, and yeah, it makes my first draft so so messy. Like they are atrocious. There's no way like I'd let my agent or editor see my first drafts because they are absolutely horrendous. Because it's just me sort of like exploring the world, exploring my characters, trying to work out what my actual story is. And it's not really until I get to the end of that really messy first draft that I then know the shape of the story. And then I go back and usually end up sort of like deleting the whole like first 50,000 words that I've written because I realized then that that's not the right start for the story that I now know I'm trying to tell but um yeah, yeah just having that freedom just to sort of like write my own way through the story and let my characters sort of tell me what they want to happen and and yeah if I don't plan it and I don't know what's going to happen it keeps me really interested and then I know that if I'm suddenly starting to get bored that my readers are probably going to get bored as well so it really helps me in terms of pacing as well not to plot but yeah it does give me so much extra work later on when I'm editing it and revising it because I've then got so many like really messy things I need to try and whip into shape of it so right yeah yeah I'm kind of the same way but I kind of like plot as I'm going 
So, and then I do a lot of restarts where I'll write like a hundred pages and then I'll be like, oh no, that's not what happens at all. And then I'll just restart the whole thing. Like, yeah. So it can be kind of a long process, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, there's something exciting about kind of discovering what the story is like as you're writing it. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay, so in January of 2020, you released Captive, a poetry collection on OCD, psychosis, and brain inflammation. Uh, these poems are based on the therapy writings you produced when you were experiencing psychosis and OCD due to autoimmune basal ganglia encephalitis or encephalitis a rare type of brain inflammation caused by the immune system attacking the brain. So what was the process of writing this collection like? So, yeah, that's actually like a really difficult question for me to answer because I can't actually remember writing it because the encephalitis is causing to have quite extensive memory loss for Mm -hmm. um, the last two years. So, yeah, like I can't actually remember sitting down to write it. But I know from um, like diary entries that I made at the time that I was um, producing these poems as part of like therapy writing because I was having a lot of difficulty um, speaking and communicating and my cognitive skills had like diminished completely. And I was trying to find a way to express myself and like understand what, everything that was going on because it was a really scary time with like all this brain inflammation. And for quite a long time, we didn't actually know what was happening because doctors kept misdiagnosing me. Right. So yeah, um, like I know from my diary entries I was like in therapy for quite a while um this was before they realized it was encephalitis because they thought it was just like mental health so I was like told to sort of like do some therapy writings to sort of like process how I was feeling and yeah like these poems came directly from those therapy writings because I had like this whole journal full of poetry and it was really really dark and um it wasn't actually until about a year later when I was in treatment and like they'd finally sort of correctly diagnosed me and realised it was brain inflammation rather than a straightforward mental health condition. And I found this journal with all these therapy writings in and it just gave this um, like direct insight into my tortured mind as it had been then. And I found it so like surreal reading it. And I was almost sort of like on the edge of my seat, like nerves and just like so anxious reading about it all. And yeah, I, I, I showed it to um, a couple of people in like the support group that I'm in that also have the same condition. Mm-hmm. And um, they said like that that sort of summed up how they'd been feeling as well. But it's really weird because at the time it's hard for you to like verbalize how you're feeling. So yeah, it was, it was sort of like that need to sort of raise awareness of what it's like to have brain information that made me think, okay, I've got all these therapy writings, maybe I should do something with them. So that's how I sort of like turned it into like this memoir in poetry. Right, that's really cool. So, so how, I mean, how has the the writing and, and creativity kind of helped you to understand this condition like differently? Or how um, has it? Well, yeah, like it's, it's strange because obviously I've got all this memory loss now so just like thinking back just based on my own memories I can't remember anything of what it was like so reading um these things I wrote during that time it's really sort of 
opening all up to me, making me aware of just how I felt at that time. So it's giving me like a direct link to the past. (laughs) Like it's almost like I'm stepping back in time every time I sort of like read that manuscript and it is so surreal and it just feels really odd in a way. But yeah, it is helping me process a lot of like what I went through. And yeah, because like some of the... um, some of the times during the brain information I can remember like I can remember specific hallucinations I had about like birds and insects but then I've also got all these therapy poems about spiders as well and so like from from looking at all sort of like from an analytical point of view I can probably say that yeah some of my hallucinations were of spiders but I can't remember those like organically Mm -hmm. so it's really strange having sort of like this mismatch um, in your brain of what you remember and then what like your diaries are telling you right right yeah that that is an interesting perspective and you know it's interesting because uh, I saw you tweet recently about uh, how it's in production as an audiobook and you were listening to the first 15 minutes of it so you know what was it like to hear the beginning of the book in an audio format especially like from the perspective of not really remembering writing it um yeah so that was it was such an amazing moment um like hearing it um it's been being narrated by Shelley Solder who is just like this amazing um narrator for audiobooks and um well actually this morning she sent me over the whole audiobook rather than just the first 15 minutes so I have actually been listening to it just before um this conversation with you I've just been sort of like listening to it all and I'm about three quarters of the way through but yeah it it, it, it's so weird because like on the one hand I don't recognize any of like the poems um I have no sort of like organic memory of writing them I only have like the memory of like me reading them, discovering them, editing them, and then putting them together into this collection that does make up a memoir in poetry. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and then when I'm listening to Shelley reading it and listening to sort of like she's got this really beautiful voice and her tone is just like it really resonates and it fits so so well. And it, it's so weird because I almost don't recognize it as my own writing. But then every now and again, she'll get to like a line and I'll hear it and I'll just think, yeah, that's the kind of thing I would say. So it, it's really weird. But right. yeah, listening to it in audio format is just pretty amazing. Right? And it's so exciting because this is this will be my first audio book of any of my work as well. So it's, it's just really exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I recently had that experience as well because I, I had my first audio book produced from um time after time my my YA time travel book that just came out last year and oh, yeah. it, it was so cool listening to it you know someone else it was almost like someone else wrote it you know <laughs> just, yeah it's exactly that feeling <laughs> yeah exactly and I mean I listen to a lot of audio books anyway so you know that's like a pretty normal way of me consuming books so like it made me feel like I was more of a real writer (laughs) you know yeah yeah, I got that too because like um well recently I've been mainly listening to audiobooks rather than reading because I've been having sort of like vision problems because I still got the encephalitis Mm -hmm. um so yeah just like knowing that my book is going to be sort of like an audiobook too it's just it's really exciting right yeah that is exciting um so when when does that that one come out? 
Um, it hasn't got a release date at the moment, but I think it's probably going to be sometime in the next like two or three months. I'm not entirely sure. Um, okay. It's still in production and we've just got like the first draft of um, the audio recordings at the moment. And yeah, Shelley's going to be editing it for the next few weeks or something. But um, yeah, like with timelines and like time scales for this, I have no idea because I've, I've never had like an audiobook produced. Well, yeah, my- yeah. With my audiobook, it was like, it was like, oh, I, you know, I think maybe that'll be out in October. And then it wasn't out until like November or December, I think. Um, okay. So it's, you know, with audiobooks, I think unless you're like a super famous, like Stephen King or somebody, there's not really like a concrete, like, release date it's just it's more of like a oh this will be done when audible like approves it or whatever you know (laughs) so okay so you don't are the process of writing this collection was you know kind of unique have you written a lot of poetry like before that and and like how does your poetry process differ from your fiction process if you have Okay, so, um, well, prior to this poetry collection, I hadn't really written any poetry. Um, I think the only time I'd done it was when I was um, at Exeter University, and we had, like, this creative writing module where for, like, three or four of the weeks we had to write poetry. So that's kind of, like, the only other poetry that I had written. So to suddenly find myself, like, holding this poetry collection that I've written when I was really ill but have no actual memory of writing it is really weird and since then I have toyed with this idea of writing a another poetry collection like a follow-up about like the actual treatment because um like captive is very much about sort of like the um feelings of like loss and like lost in all the darkness the unknown of it the battle with doctors to get taken seriously trying to get like the diagnosis um and whereas now I'm going through all the treatments so I do kind of think maybe I will write another poetry collection but the thing is um when I had all the brain information um really severely a couple of years ago I couldn't write prose at that time I remember that quite distinctly like I just I couldn't do it it was like that part of my brain had just been switched off and like so I was obviously able to write the, the poetry and I guess maybe it was just using sort of like a slightly different part of my brain and that was how I was like unable to, able to do it. Right. Um, and like now um, I, I can write prose again. So I'm writing sort of like my books, my long manuscripts and I'm not sort of like feeling as connected to poetry as I reckon I must have been before. So yeah, like it's really weird talking about sort of like comparing be two processes because I don't remember the writing process at all <laughs> captive. so yeah like I can speculate on what it's about but um one thing that my um beta readers and like the critique partner critique partners have said recently about my latest manuscripts and um, that I've written since having the brain information is that they're a lot more poetic um sort of like the, in the language that I'm using and I have noticed since um, having sort of the encephalitis that I'm drawn to a lot more darker topics now. Like I want to write thrillers, I want to write about crime rather than um, sort of like lighter stuff. Although dystopian is pretty dark anyway. <laughs> but, um, you, yeah, so I, I think you can see the influence of having written this poetry memoir in my latest stuff because I'm, I'm much more sort of like caught up on imagery now. And I love sort of like spending hours trying to create the perfect image 
whereas before I was I think I was more like plot driven before whereas now I'm like definitely character driven but in a sort of very poetic way if Mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah yeah that that makes sense I mean yeah because I I used to write poetry I don't I haven't really written any in a while but um yeah for me the process was always kind of Dip, like I feel like it was more a subconscious thing uh, writing poetry like it was kind of connecting to some kind of different level of consciousness and then like you know obviously you you get more typical when when you're editing the poetry at least for me but um mm-hmm. but but yeah I, th- I feel like yeah that's interesting that you talk about like kind of different parts of the brain because like I I kind of feel like I mean I don't I don't have any scientific data to back this up but (laughs) I feel I feel like the process is different like probably does use slightly different parts of the brain that's interesting I'll have to look that up and see if that's correct (laughs) so you you've written a lot of characters uh with chronic illnesses or disabilities and I think it's great that you're representing these types of characters in your writing so talk about you know the experience of writing disabled or or ill characters um yeah so yeah like obviously I have encephalitis which is a chronic condition and I've also I was also born with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome which is a genetic disability affecting connective tissue in like throughout the whole of my body so yeah um it's really weird because before I was ill with the encephalitis, um, although sort of like I was still writing, I was determined to be a writer. Whenever I tried to write characters then that were ill with the same conditions that I've got, I found I'd get stuck. And I worked out it was because I was wanting to write for escapism so then I could live through my characters doing the stuff that I couldn't. So for me at that time, if I spend trying to write a character that was just like me with my disability and my illnesses, it was just too close to home. And I, I, I wanted to write to get away from it all. Hmm. But since having the encephalitis, I've wanted to see more people like me in books. So um, I, I've, I've just felt like representation is suddenly become like a much more important issue to me mm-hmm. and I've sort of realized that like I need to write characters that are like me and disabled and chronically ill but where the main focus of the book isn't their disability or the illness so yeah like the the latest manuscript I've just um, finished working on with my agent um, it's a young adult thriller and all three of the main characters have Ellis Danlos syndrome like me um, yeah it's not like a huge part of the story it's just like there's this thriller um sort of like plot going on and the characters just happen to have it and I think it's really important that um we write characters with these illnesses and disabilities but where it's not the driving force of the story because I think that's just really going to help normalize these conditions right and yeah so like that's I'm making a much more conscious effort now sort of like in every manuscript where I, I'm trying to include my illnesses and disabilities for like own voices representation mm-hmm. um, but to do so in a way where it's not like the only thing that the book is about because I think before what was making me really skeptical skeptical about writing a disabled character with my own condition was that somehow I possibly thought that that meant it had to be 
sort of the main focus of the book and that nothing else like exciting could happen so yeah like obviously I've like completely changed my tune about that now because um like yeah we're having encephalitis and um like for a long time with that I couldn't actually read any books so and I couldn't like my cognitive abilities are gone and I couldn't even understand books couldn't sort of like concentrate enough to follow a plot mm. and when I eventually started reading again I think the second book I read was Scars Like Wings by Erin Stewart and that has I think two out of the three main characters in that are disabled or chronically ill and I remember just thinking how wonderful it was to see characters that sort of like were disabled or ill but where it wasn't sort of like the absolute main focus because although it does drive the plot a bit because of what that book is about you've also got like a love story you've got the characters with like all these hopes and dreams and yeah that just really sort of like opened my eyes to it all and since then I've just been making this active effort to write more chronically ill characters um and yeah I've got a story coming out in an anthology next month um it's actually an anthology that I co-edited with Emily Collin and my short story in that does have a main character who has um, a kidney disorder, like the same one that I have. So yeah, that was a really fun writing that, but it's also like a Medusa retelling and it's all about like feminism. And um, so yeah, there's a lot going on in it. And I just liked that I was able to include like own voices, chronic illness representation as well. Yeah, that, that, that sounds really cool, first of all. And then I know exactly what you mean, like, you know, this, I see that too with a lot of LGBTQ plus representation, like, you know, the whole story is, is about that. And, and yeah, it, you do just kind of want to see like a character who just happens to be gay or happens to be disabled, but like doing, you know, the normal things that like we all do as humans, because it, it kind of, you know, it, it shows that whatever it is that makes you, you know, quote unquote, different from the norm, like whether you're gay or disabled or, you know, from a different culture, like then, you know, the mm-hmm. whatever culture you're in, it's the majority. Like it, it kind of just really shows the humanness and, and what like connects us all as opposed to what you know, makes us different from each other. Exactly, yeah. Right. Yeah, uh, that's something that I've kind of um, been toying with recently because I have like a kind of a weird balance disorder that like not even a lot of people really know what it is. Uh, So a lot of people just think I'm like drunk and stumbling around, but like I'm not actually drunk. (laughs) And yeah, yeah, so it's so I was definitely like I've, because and I used to be a dancer you know and so I kind of wanted to write like a story about somebody coming coming to terms with not being able to do stuff they used to be able to do and and, you know I thought that that could be an interesting like conflict so it's like yeah I, I think you know having own voices like books that show more uh representation of of different types of of people that we don't normally see like I I think that's a really cool movement that's that's happened in books you know over the past 20 years or or whatever yeah I definitely agree and 
like I guess the more that we write these characters that like have the same conditions that we have the more sort of like normalized it is and then um it also helps raise awareness of like what it actually is like to have these conditions because a lot of these sort of like older portrayals of like illnesses and disabilities um tend to be written by able-bodied people and you get like all the stereotypes or you get it where the villain was like the disabled person so yeah I think just sort of like writing um more characters with these conditions it's just really helps raise awareness and mm -hmm. normalize it all as part of like society right right yeah so um so what are you working on right now uh so right now i am editing the the threat of the hunt the that's the third dangerous ones book so yeah that's like it's a bit grueling at the moment I'm just sort of like a bit bogged down by it or like you know how it gets when you've sort of like been working on a book for so long and then you've got you know you've got to do like three more rounds of edits on it and you're oh, a bit yeah. tired and a bit fed up but um yeah like I'm really excited by it and I think um once I've got like this huge plot hole at the moment but I've been trying to sell for about two weeks and I think once I manage to solve it I'll get like all my enthusiasm back because I'll be able to move on to the next part of a manuscript um so yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. Um, and then after that, I will be editing a new young adult thriller that I wrote last year because that's such a messy first draft and I really need to sort of like do something productive with it. That's that's cool. That's awesome. Uh, so so what, you know, books or TV shows, movies, music, etc. are you really into right now? Um, yeah, so I... Well, I've been obsessively listening to audiobooks recently. And um, like a few years ago, I read We Were Liars by E. Lockhart. And I don't know how I didn't realise then that she didn't have, because I thought when, when I read it, like I loved that book and I thought she only had that one book out. And then about a month ago, I suddenly like looked on um, Audible and found like all these other audiobooks of her work. So yeah, I, I've been sort of like reading all these um, books by E. Lockhart. I just finished Again Again, which I think was published last year. And uh, it's just amazing. And I'm just really obsessed with her writing because like her, her language and imagery is just so lyrical and beautiful. And yeah, like I just find it all really inspiring as well because I often get really inspired whenever I read like a really good book with beautiful language. And I'm just like, yes, that's, that's why I want to be a writer. So yeah, like I, I'm just really into her books right now. And I think I'm probably gonna reread We Were Liars, um, like listening to the audiobook and just sort of like mm -hmm. taking notes on structure because I love analyzing my favorite books as well to work out like why I'm having sort of like such an emotional response to them. Because mm -hmm. I think that's really helpful for you as a writer as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um yeah, I, I feel like I yeah, if it's a it's a, it's a book that I really enjoy, I kind of I feel like the first read is always just, you know, being engrossed in the plot and, and, you know, the actual story. And then I feel like I have to read a book a second time to really kind of analyze and study the craft of the storytelling, you know? Yeah, definitely. And it's always so, um, like educational as well doing that. Cause like I'm studying my MA at the moment as well. And I'm very much more, aware of sort of like writing craft now so I'm whenever I'm reading a book now I'm sort of like this part of my brain that's being really analytical about it as well mm -hmm. and yeah like you say with when you first read a book you're just sort of like engrossed in it and I know when I'm really engrossed in a book and I'm reading 
and I get to a really exciting bit I'm just like desperate to like turn the page find out what happens and I do sort of like almost skim read the really exciting parts which is a really bad habit of mine because I, I miss so much of like the really good writing so it's not until my second read through that I feel that like I can really appreciate the book yeah I just, like I get that feeling where I've got to know what's coming next I've got to finish it as quickly as possible um, well, that's the great thing about audiobooks is you can't you can't do that because I I do that too sometimes when I'm reading mm-hmm. um I mean you you know you can always make it like faster and then they sound like munchkins but <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so okay I have kind of a big question that I ask everyone on the podcast um why do you think art is important? Wow, that is a big question. <laughs> um, I think, well, art kind of like sustains us. Like, um, like, we, like with writing and stories, we, we're sort of like drawn to storytelling and storytelling is just so, so important. Like it teaches us so much about ourselves. We can use stories to like warn each other. We can read about situations that we haven't yet been in. And we can like discover what we'd do, but like in the safety of like our own house, if we're like sitting inside reading about something. And yeah, I think all art is just so important. Like it really sort of like helps you connect with yourself. Like listening to music, like does relax me as well. Like if I'm really stressed and I listen to music, I feel so much better. And I just feel that art, it's sort of like, if you're surrounded by it, it makes you more of a balanced person in a way. And yeah, like it, it's calming and it's like, it's, it's just so, so important really. Um, I'm not sure I'm entirely answering your question about why it's important, I'm just saying it <laughs> is. But um, yeah, like it just, it teaches us so much. And yeah, I'm thinking from thinking from the perspective of, of um, like young adult books that are particularly about sort of like modern issues and like these contemporary issues that teenagers will face mm-hmm. um it does like if you've got a teenager who's facing that issue reading about a character who's also facing it it's going to make them feel less alone but then at the same time if you've got a reader reading this book and they have no experience of it at all it's helping them understand how others will feel and I think that reading does make you more like empathetic to mm-hmm. others situations and it really helps you like understand and have more empathy for different people so and I think all art can do that really like whether it's painting or like music writing yeah so yeah like, I think it's just really really important yeah yeah I would say the empathy aspect is 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 a huge important thing about about art and particularly with reading because you know I feel like when you're reading if especially if it's first person you you're kind of asked to step into the shoes of of another you know person another character and I feel like that really doesn't develop um you know the ability to empathize with other people and see things from other perspectives which is I feel like really important you know yeah definitely cool well um so where can people find you and your work uh, yeah, so I've got a website which is madelinedyer.co.uk and I'm also on um, sort of like usual social medias. Um, so my username on like Twitter and Instagram is at madelinedyeruk. Um, yeah, and then my books are available sort of like all the major retailers. So you've got like paperbacks, 
ebooks the audiobook coming soon for captive <laughs> and yeah um like I guess at the moment um all the bookstores are like closed because of the pandemic um, oh yeah but yeah like I, I know you can, you can get my books in bookstores as well but like are, are they doing sort of like the online ordering through bookstores in the US oh yeah yeah definitely yeah yeah because um yeah like all our bookshops in the UK at the moment they're all like telephone orders now so it's really weird because you can't really go in and browse anything but you, <laughs> if you know your name then you can you can get that book but, um, yeah yeah and then and you just had uh some really cool hardback editions come out of the untamed books was it just the first three or the first four or was it all um, of them yeah, so the first four um untamed books like the main sort of untamed series um yeah released in hardcover in September and it was actually really exciting because one of my best friends um Essie Anderson who's also an amazing um science fiction author she does cover design and she ended up being my cover designer so that was so cool because like I was able to have these conversations with her about exactly like what kind of thing I wanted to see and I was seeing the designs all the different concepts and like different stages of the design so that was really cool so yeah the first four books um you can get in hardcover as well as paperback and ebook and then yeah there are plans for a dangerous ones trilogy to release in hardcover as well um probably later this year I'm not entirely sure because nothing's set in stone but yeah like I think fingers crossed they will be coming to hardback as well right cool yeah all of your covers are, are gorgeous so I'll, I'll be sure to like post some of those on on my um findcreativeexpression.com and I can post links to all of your your like your website and your social media and everything there too oh, thank you so yeah so definitely everyone listening go check it out um yeah okay well yeah thanks so much for coming on the podcast that that was great thank you so much for having me and like this all those wonderful questions as well <laughs> Cool. Well, th- I'm glad glad you are. Uh, you know, found them interesting. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> I had such a great time talking to Madeline. Everyone, definitely go check out her work on findcreativeexpression.com. Coming up in the next episode, I'm going to be speaking to industrial musician James Huey again. <laughs> so definitely tune back in for that. That's going to be next week to make up for the episode that I missed two weeks ago. And then I'll be back on track. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Find Creative Expression podcast. Please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. You can find me on Instagram at Sarah E. Crawford or YouTube.com slash Sarah Crawford. Also find me on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Sarah Crawford to support the podcast for just a dollar a month. And that's Sarah, S-A-R-A without an H. I hope you've been inspired today and I'll see you in two weeks for the next podcast.